live from the lucky number seven lounge in the basement of Dine Drink Travel World Headquarters in the barren wastelands of far west Texas. This is Dine Drink Vegas, the official podcast by and for those people stuck at home who wish they were in the land of neon lights and bad decisions. I am your host, John, a.k.a. The Baller on a Budget, and here in episode four, we're going to update some news, including an update to our baseball story from episode two. We're going to get a rundown on Bill's recent trip to Vegas and maybe a bit of a preview of my July trip, but not so much. And of course, we're going to take a deep dive into our drink of the day. But now it's time to welcome the man himself, the founder of Dine Drink Travel, the leader in the luxury lounge, the king of comps, the high roller of the high planes, the man who is always waiting for the limo to take him to his hotel. It's time to say hello to Bill. Come on in, Bill. Hey, John. How are you? I am great, and the more of this beverage I drink, the better I am. So why don't you introduce the drink of the week? So the drink of the week is a Vesper. It's a classic James Bond cocktail. But the reason that this is the drink of the week is that on the trip I made last week that we're going to talk about later on in this episode... I had an incident at Gordon Ramsay's Steak where they made me one that, whatever, they made a mistake with the drink. We'll talk about that later on, but I wanted to make it the way I wanted to make it, and now it's our drink of the day. So let's start with the classic formula for the Vesper. So this is a variation on the martini. So normally it would be three ounces of gin, one ounce of vodka, and a half ounce of Lillet Blanc or the dry vermouth of your choice. And per 007 himself, unlike a martini that should be stirred, this one gets shaken. And you don't put an olive anywhere near this. This is for a twist of citrus, be it lemon or lime. So uh, lemon or orange, excuse me. Bill, let's talk about how you made yours because neither of us followed the classic recipe. So I departed from orthodoxy just a little bit. I, I like vodka more than I like gin. I like gin. I just prefer vodka. So instead of using three parts gin to one part vodka, I use two parts gin to one part vodka to tame out some of the botanicals of the gin just a little bit. I still use, also that gave me an ounce less of total liquor, which probably helps at this point in the afternoon. So it was, and then I used a half ounce of the Lille Blanc. I think like that's the only driver move I use. I make a point of always having, in addition to the bottles that I've got running in my fridge, I always have at least one and usually two backup bottles of it just in case I run out and need more. Also, I am where I, I another place where I departed from orthodoxy. So the classic James Bond cocktail would be made with a lemon twist, and I didn't do that. I prefer the flavor of orange, so I used an orange twist. What'd you do, John? So uh, I I do like gin. So I kept the three to one ratio of gin to vodka. Also, it's my first drink of the day. Might be my only drink of the day. I'm going to make it a stiff one. The other thing I did is I did a a full ounce of the Lillet Blanc. So I'm going to say something controversial in our generation. So you and I came of legal drinking age in the 90s. And in the 90s, Vermouth had, had was the a legal dirty drinking word. age raised to 21 by the time it applied to us? Uh, yes. And right. actually, my, my older sister, who's seven years older than me, uh, they mm-hmm. moved it from 19 to 21. Well, they moved it from 18 to 19 a week before her 18th birthday. And then they moved it from 19 to 21 shortly before her but, 19th birthday. That's so, like Lucy pulling the football up from Charlie yeah. Brown. But for me, it was always 21. Uh, in the 90s, in cocktail co- culture, uh, both gin and vermouth were uh, not welcome. So a lot of people of our generation, what they want in, in a martini or a Vesper or anything like that is basically cold vodka and a lot of olive flavor. And in a Vesper or even in a martini, I don't want any olive. Uh, I guess I'm a big Kiss fan. I like cold gin, which is the heart of a martini. But I also really enjoy dry vermouth. I like the flavors that it brings, particularly with the London dry gin. So today we're using sapphire. Uh, and then t- tell us about the vodka we're using, because I've never been a big vodka fan. You have converted me with this vodka. So let me back up. So for the gin, I'm actually using something called St. George's Gin. It's a b- boutique product out of California. But one of my buddies in my office has a brother who lives there. He brings it back from California every year. It's really good. So I used a little bit of a different gin where I happen to enjoy the botanicals. But sure, the Bombay Sapphire, also very good. The vodka 
is called Shevkov vodka. It is a Ukrainian product. Um, and when it got to be where I, I didn't want to buy Russian stuff anymore, I looked for a Ukrainian product and it was just straight up better. It, um, so I've got two different kinds of Shevkov in my house and the super premium stuff is very, very good. We actually use one half label down from it because it's got some vanilla notes in it that I really enjoy. Right. And I, and uh, by the way, listeners, if I disappear at any point in this podcast, I will be going to get a sample of the other gin that I didn't notice when we were making this because I like gin and that sounds like a delicious one and and I'm going to get there. So I'm not wrong. So uh, we're having a lovely time with our Vespers, and uh, I think this was a good call, Bill. And you have converted me. I used to believe in the Ron Swanson approach, that clear alcohol is for skinny women on diets. Uh, but you have converted me to uh, to finding the, the, the place in my bar for quality vodka. And it, it sort of reignited a love I have now for gin that I think you enjoy gin, but I think I I definitely prefer like the juniper quality a little bit more than you do. I tend to be more gin forward and uh, vermouth forward on my choices than I think probably most drinkers, not just you. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a fair statement. Um, And like, I like vodka to the point where sometimes I'll just, I will very rarely drink it neat, but I will sometimes drink vodka with just like a single rock in it, not pretend that that somehow makes it a martini. I just enjoy the taste of the vodka. Yeah, and I and I I, I totally get you because I think the Shevkov in particular has has convinced me that, um, you know, I used to believe that the point of vodka was to taste like nothing, but a really high quality vodka does have a flavor profile. It's subtle, you know. If you're a whiskey drinker, a high quality vodka is going to be very, very, very subtle. But sometimes subtle things. Uh, are profoundly enjoyable. And you, you, my friend, have completely converted me. All right. So that's enough about what we're drinking. Let's dive into the news. So, Bill, uh, let's talk about, you've got three stories on the queue. So let's talk about Lake Mead. So I, in a previous life, I did a lot of work on what water levels were in the Western United States. And that's been a decade and a half. It's been a long time. But I learned a lot about how Lake Mead and Lake Powell actually function. And in terms of this podcast, what that means is how does the city of Las Vegas get the water it absolutely has to have to function? When you fly in to Vegas, the lake that you see is Lake Mead, and the white bathtub rings are where water used to be. Now, to be specific, if you fly in from anywhere east of Vegas, so if we have, you know, we have five listeners, and if one of you happens to be on the West Coast, sorry. Um, okay. When I fly into Vegas, which is what it turns out I care about most, also, I'm pretty sure that even if you're flying in from California, Lake Mead's on the approach path they tend to use anyway. Oh, okay. Depending on what direction the wind happens to be going that particular way. Well, that, then I learned something new. I stand corrected. Uh, you know, it's the first time I've been right in a very long time. I'm going to hold on to it. But that's where the city of Las Vegas gets its water from. Those white bathtub rings are where water used to be. And as you fly into Vegas, you notice that those bathtub rings have been getting bigger and bigger every year. Yeah cause the water levels going down. We talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but the water levels continue to go up. I'm looking right now at a Washington Post story. It's talking about Lake Powell had risen at the um, it w- is rising right now more than a foot a day. The reason that's important is that Lake Powell is where they release water that goes into Lake Mead. Lake Mead is ultimately where Vegas gets its water from. But the upshot of the story is there was a whole lot of snow in the western United States this year. As it's melting off, that's feeding into Lake Powell. And what that's going to mean is that Vegas has has probably bought itself at least another year without really sharp water restrictions. Well, and not only that, this is also really good news for his honor, the former mayor of Vegas, Oscar Goodman, because the lower Lake Mead gets, the more some of his elderly clients are probably going to need a defense as barrels and cement footed mobsters start to come to the surface. So uh, getting more water is not only good for tourists like us and people who live in Vegas, it is a relief to those who may have left some of their colleagues at the bottom of Lake Mead due to some work disputes back in the good old days you of can, Sin City. You know, there may have been excellent reasons that somebody just voluntarily decided to put concrete on their feet 
and then go swimming and perhaps make poor life choices. You can never tell. Yeah, you, you, things happen. It's a complicated world. Okay, so what about Formula One? And I've got some thoughts here about my trip coming up in July. But Bill, what have we learned about Formula One and the Strip? So on the trip that I took last week, and I was there um, from Sunday through Monday, when I arrived on Sunday, Las Vegas Boulevard was as it always is. Las Vegas Boulevard is what the Strip is. By Monday morning, I woke up in the Bellagio and I could see they had closed off most of the lanes on one of the directions. That's going to continue from now until shortly before the Formula One race hits in, I think it's early November, because the standards for Formula One, in short, require pouring all new concrete wherever those very expensive cars are going to go. The upshot of that is it's going to be extremely hard to get up and down the strip. And since it's going to be hard to get up and down the strip, you need to plan extra time for where is your Uber going? How long, how long is it going to take your Uber to get to the next hotel? How long is it going to get from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to the airport in particular? It's going to mess up construction. Make sure you plan extra time for wherever it is you're going. The second thing to know, I was talking to my Uber driver when I was leaving the Treasure Island, which is far enough north that it's not directly impacted by what they're doing right now. But she said she didn't really want to take that trip, nor are most of the Uber drivers starting to do it, because with the construction that's going on on Las Vegas Boulevard, it's whatever, the trips take longer, the Uber and Lyft drivers don't get paid anymore, and that's another thing that you got to plan into your trip there may be fewer drivers willing to take the trip because of how bad the construction mess is. Right. So for example, my wife and I plan to go over July 4th and this may work out good for the YouTube channel, which is what Bill is always thinking about. Uh, in, in our guys trip in March, we ate at herbs and rye, which by the way, if you haven't seen that video on, on YouTube, go watch it. Herbs and rye is one of the best happy hour deals in Vegas. And is it the best steakhouse in Vegas? No. Is it one of the best steakhouses in Vegas? No. Is it? I think it is one of the best. I'm not sure about that, but I will say this. Is it one of the best bargains in Vegas with a really decent steak selection and one of the best cocktail menus in Vegas? It is that. And for that reason, I think it is a must do. And particularly as the resident baller on a budget, if you're trying to economize and still have a great time, Herbs and Rye is phenomenal. I hear it's sister restaurant Cleaver is as well. We haven't gotten to that one yet. But I wanted to take my wife there on July 5th of this trip. But now with the difficulty of getting in and out of the strip to other parts of town, we're starting to reconsider that. So we may cancel that and do something like Super Frico or Mona Miga B or another steakhouse on the strip. And by the way, listeners, if you've got a restaurant that you think we should be reviewing and something you want to see some footage of, this is your chance to leave comments and tell us so because uh, I really am with the with the Uber situation rethinking whether or not uh, I need a dinner on that night that's going to be walkable rather than requiring a ride share. So here's the problem. You can't tell for sure what the construction's going to be like on the particular day that you're Correct. there. And it's absolutely possible that you go and there's no problem at all. But it's, it's Vegas. Every decision you make is ma- made based on calculating the odds. And the odds suggest to me you're a lot better served by going someplace you can walk to at least until the Formula One people are out of town. And I know you really want me to find some place that I can walk to that has high hits on Google Analytics so we can put a video out that will be in demand for the channel. And I totally respect that. That's probably what we're going to do. I am a little bit <clears throat> disappointed because I think my wife would have really enjoyed the Cacio e Pepe uh, at Herbs and Rye. But be that as it may, it's not our last trip to Vegas. Eventually she gets that dinner. And and again, I must, I must come back to... Um, it's a it's a really good steak at a good price, but that cocktail menu, oh my god! Uh, I don't know what else people want. That's it's if if they don't have it, folks, you don't want it. Yeah, I mean, no, you're 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 correct. I want to argue with you because that's what we do, but you're just straight up right. Yeah. So, and I know my wife is hoping that they don't start building the grandstands in front of the fountains because one of the things we love to do is uh, catch. 
either breakfast early in the morning or even better go get a charcuterie board at uh, it used to be hex i think hex is closed but alexa bar and grill is still open at paris it's a great place to just watch the fountains uh, and if they put up those grandstands early, it's going to obstruct that view. You're going to have to see the fountains from the Bellagio side rather than from the Las Vegas Boulevard side. And for my wife, like she pretty much is hoping to run into Brad Pitt and George Clooney standing in front of the fountains like the end scene of Ocean's 11, because I think she wants one of them to take her away from me. But statistically, that probably won't happen so she can have her fantasy. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, none of us are going to be shocked if that yeah. happens. I mean, right? who who would blame her? Brad okay. Pitt, George Clooney, the, the local milkman, whatever. I'd leave. All right. So now let's dive into story number three. So uh, this story's been on a lot of places, but I want to give a shout out again to Scott over at Vital Vegas. <clears throat> you can find Vital Vegas at Twitter, Facebook, and at casino.org. Uh, and, and honestly, a lot of our news updates come by way of Vital Vegas, even when we say there's somebody else because we saw it from Scott and then we did a deeper dive with somebody else because he's usually first. So in episode two, we talked about the A's moving into a spot on the other side of I-15 from the Strip. Uh, and we talked about, you know, you can't really walk from the strip to there. Well, now word is that they are, they've reached an agreement with Bally's, the corporation. And now folks, let me stop right there. The Bally's casino was owned by Caesars, not the Bally's corporation. If you go to Bally's locations outside of Vegas, they're run by Bally's, but on the strip, Bally's was run by Caesars. Well, Caesars also owns the rights to the horseshoe brand, which I still think of as being Jack Binion, and I think the horseshoe should be downtown. Nonetheless, Bally's has now become the horseshoe. So, Bally's owns the Tropicana. They are going to bulldoze the Tropicana, and they are going to build the A's baseball stadium where Tropicana is now, which is directly across from Excalibur, directly across from MGM Grand, right on the Strip. And they're going to build a, a fewer rooms than what's in the Trop currently because you have to fit in a baseball stadium. But they're going to build a hotel and casino around there. And this raises an issue that I particularly want to ask Bill about. So listeners, if you don't know, Bill is an expert in communications. And his career has been in the nonprofit sector, government and education. But he has trained a lot of people who've gone on to corporate and, uh, and PR jobs. So Bally's is going to have a decision to make when they build the hotel and casino around the stadium. Now, the stadium naming rights will be up to the A's. We know that's always how this works. But for the hotel and casino, Bally's could keep the Tropicana name. It's one of the oldest brands associated with Vegas. If you talk to anybody over 45 years old and you say lists and names, like when you think about classic Vegas, uh, 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 the Trop is up there with, say, Flamingo or Stardust, which no longer exists, and some of the other brands. But... Bally's is heavily associated with sports. So Bally's Incorporated is going to have a choice. Do they brand this new hotel as a new Tropicana? Do they brand it as Bally's because now they can because Caesars has given up that name in Vegas? Or do they go for something behind door number three? So Bill, in your opinion, if you were advising the leaders at Bally's Incorporated, what would you name the new hotel and casino that's going to surround the A's ballpark on the Las Vegas Strip. So as a general rule, Vegas is trying to market to a younger demographic than you and I are, which is weird because people our age have more money than most people in their yeah. 20s. Um, I guess what I'd want to look at is what are the demographics of the people who actually watch baseball games? And obviously those demographics aren't going to be the same as the ones watching the Oakland A's in Oakland right now. But I would look at who tends to stay in the south end of the Strip right now. I would look at who tends to watch baseball, and then I would make a decision. If you assume that your baseball-watching audience is relatively younger, then I would probably come up with a new name for that hotel in an attempt to appeal to them. If you assume that they're in their mid-40s and up, 
And then sure, I think you probably go with one of their one of those old existing names. Yeah, and then I wonder too legally, like they can get the name from Caesars. That's not a problem. But is there a con- conflict of interest because the A's are carried on Bally's network? It used to be Fox Sports Southwest. Now it's Bally Southwest. Um, can you use the Bally's name in that context? I don't know if that's an issue. I can't um, imagine that that would be an, an issue. I mean, there are people who, there are all sorts of organizations who have similarly named subcorporations who do different, you know, parts of the project. Right. So, no, I mean, essentially the only way that would be a problem is if Bally's had a problem with it, which would be a weird set of circumstances, right. in which case we're probably not having this conversation. I just want to, whatever they call it, I want to stay in that hotel because I'm a baseball nerd. And if, and you, so from there, you would be able to walk really, really easily to the New York, New York, into the MGM, into one of the two hotels on the Las Vegas Strip that I don't like to talk about very much, right? The Dirty Castle. Isn't the, the Excalibur's right there. Yeah. Yeah, easy access. So, you know, there would be two hotels that I'd really want to walk to on the other corners, as well as the Excalibur. And, you yeah, know, that's a place I think I want to stay at. I don't much care. I think my bigger question about all this deal so we told our, our listeners in episode two that the A's had entered a definitive agreement to purchase real estate, the real estate on the other side of the interstate. And I commented, I don't understand why you would agree to make the agreement. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand how things work, right? Because it sounds to me like they're still legally obligated to purchase that other land. So I, I think that... Uh... By agreeing to agree, they left themselves legal wiggle room. And I think that was a sign that, um, you know, they were willing to build on that site. But one of the things we talked about in episode two, that if they built on that site, you really want foot traffic, preferably to the strip or to downtown in order to get tourists to go to baseball games. So that location across I-15 was going to require a pretty large and expensive to build skywalk to connect you to a tourist artery, right? You could go right into the back of Park MGM, but it wasn't going to be cheap. And I don't know how much money MGM was going to want to contribute to that, even though it'd be good for them as well. You've got a mutually beneficial arrangement. But by building on the strip, you take that away. And I think they entered into the agreement that way. Because I remember you bringing that up in the episode. Because they wanted to give themselves an out. And it sounds like they they were pretty wise to do that. Because this has got to be a better deal. It must be a better deal. And even if the land costs them more, which it almost certainly has to, it's so much easier to get people in and out of there. It'll help the traffic patterns tremendously in the area because most people probably won't be driving their car. Okay, there will be a chunk of fans who won't be driving their cars. They'll simply be walking back to their hotel. I think where I really want to go on a baseball trip, I'm assuming if I'm the Mandalay Bay, I on baseball days, I build a shuttle in that runs several times because it's a couple properties down if it's 118 degrees in vegas you're not going to want to walk a couple of properties but it's also a real short shuttle trip and i think i would love the day of you have a pool day roll into the baseball game or if it's an afternoon game baseball game roll into the pool day i'm glad you brought that up because they already have it so there is a tram that runs from excalibur to luxor to mandalay bay so I think the big winner in all of this is MGM properties. Like oh, I yeah. get Bally's is also going to, whatever they build there, that hotel is going to be booked on game days and good for them. And it's their, you know, their, it's, it's their last spot on the strip and they, they need to capitalize. But if I'm MGM properties and now that they've sold Mirage, they are now all of their properties are easy access to the ballpark. Because if you are at Bellagio, the Cosmo, Aria, Park MGM. There's a tram connecting all of those. So you get off the tram at Park MGM, walk over to New York, New York, take the Sky Bridge over. Easy. Or Yeah, and Bellagio is the furthest one away. Right. All, right yeah. And if you're Mandalay Bay or Luxor, you ride that tram down to Excalibur, and there's a Skywalk. If you're MGM Grand, there's a Skywalk. The infrastructure for MGM 
to capitalize on baseball-related packages and get baseball fans to stay in their property. They don't need shuttle buses. They don't need limos. That tramp from Mandalay Bay up to Excalibur or from Bellagio down to Park <clears throat> MGM, it's already there. If anything, if I was MGM Grand, I would actually think about putting stations in New York, New York to complete that line that from Mandalay up at New York, New York, or from Bellagio down to New York, New York. And I think for a relatively in Vegas terms, small investment, they get a chokehold on baseball because what Bally's puts in is going to be relatively small by comparison because you have to accommodate the ballpark and the hotel casino. So it's going to be smaller so than did Bally's. Did Bally's retain any of the land? Do we know for sure they've got the right to build that hotel? Yeah, that's part of the sales agreement is it is going to be a ballpark surrounded by the hotel and casino, which, by the way, I, I wonder if there's going to be rooms, and I'm sure it's a premium on a game day, where you could sit in your room and look out the window at baseball. And I don't know yet. I can't wait to see what they come up with. But yeah, Bally's has absolutely been clear. There's a hotel and casino going on site. And and what I've read says around the ballpark. So the other possibility that raises, because it's not just a summer thing. I love to go into stadiums and just take stadium tours. And that's hard to do on game day. But let's say you're there on a random day in November. They've already got the hotel. The baseball stadium's not being used for anything. I bet for 20 30 bucks, they will sell you a ticket where you can take a, a guided stadium tour, which would be another really cool Vegas experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I think this is a plus plus. For me, my allegiance, look, I realize the A's owners aren't that good, but neither are my own Texas Rangers. The moment they set up shop in Vegas, I'm sorry, Texas Rangers. I'm sorry, Nolan Ryan. I'm an A's fan. Now, and, 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 you apologize to Nolan Ryan. Is there some chance he goes Robin Ventura on you for switching your allegiance? I mean, he's like over 70. He could probably still kick our butts. I like my odds. Uh, you know what? God bless. I'm not helping you in that fight. I mean, I got beat up by you when we were wearing sumo suits. So that's probably, I'm going to live to regret that. But yeah, I like my odds. I think I could take the old man. Also, Nolan, if you're listening, your beef isn't that good. It's not. Just quit. Uh, your your cows, they're average cows at best. I'm not buying your steaks. Um, yeah. Earl Campbell's Hot Links, awesome for Texas. Texas sports-related meat products, Nolan Ryan beef, meh. Yeah, I said it, okay? I said it, Nolan. I said it. You know, um, Mr. Ryan, if you feel the need to, to kick his posterior, please let me know. I'd be happy to give you the address because I, I don't understand the words coming out of his mouth. He's I'm not out. Chuck Norris. Come on. Um, again, go talk to Mr. Ventura, right? The only man to ever get six hits off of Nolan Ryan in the same inning. Yeah, that's true. That's a long time ago. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so Bill, let's move on. You had a trip to Vegas last weekend. And by the way, first of all, I, I applaud your bravery for being on a guy's trip to Vegas on Mother's Day. Uh, so your wife hasn't murdered you as evidenced by the fact that you're here to record with me. How was your trip, sir? So let's back up. Like, you know, my wife and you know me. Would you want me in your house more than is absolutely necessary? Or would you also encourage me to leave? She has uh, set the bar very, very low at this point in your marriage. And I applaud her for her realism. Uh, I, I prefer to think of it more as resignation, but sure, realism works. So the trip was fantastic. I met my buddy Ryan for a couple of nights. Ryan is one of the godfathers to my children. Um, he was there for two nights. I stayed in three different hotels over the course of the three nights because, again, I was mostly trying to get content for the YouTube channel. But I stayed at the Bellagio, the Horseshoe, and the TI. And, you know, I, the last couple of trips I had stayed way up on the North Strip or else I had stayed downtown. This is the first time I had really camped out in the center of the Strip for in a while, and I forgot how much I had I liked it. Now, I like it more during the middle of the week than I like it on the weekends because it's not so blame crowded. But it was great. And I think before I talk about those hotels, I want to talk about the experience I had at the three steakhouses I ate at. Okay, but I'm going to stop you right there because I am the baller on a budget. So what Bill just said 
about going in the middle of the week. Folks, if you're trying to Vegas and you want to save a few bucks, doing a doing a three-night Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday trip, you really can save a couple hundred dollars on your hotel booking and sometimes on your airline booking, and that's money you could spend eating at better restaurants, doing a little gambling, catching a show. So that is one of the great money-saving oh, yeah. tips in Vegas is if you can do it, don't go on the weekend because you really can put some money back in your wallet, which let's be honest, Vegas is going to find a way to get that money from you because that's what Las Vegas does. But you're going, so I'm not suggesting you're going to save money. You're just going to get to spend your money on a wider variety of things. No, No, absolutely. I, I very much am a proponent of the midweek Vegas trip. It does things like make restaurant reservations easier and all that. So in order, we ate at three different steakhouses, or the, we ate at three different steakhouses, and in order, they were Gordon Ramsay Steak, which is in the Paris. Then we ate at Bouchon, a Thomas Keller place, where we entered in the Venetian. I don't know; it wasn't actually in the Palazzo, but somewhere in the Venetian Palazzo complex. And then on the last night, I ate. Um, I just I, I just had a total brain pass. Well, while you're doing that, yeah. I'll let you think about the third place. I will say listeners too, and again, baller on the budget uh, uh, tip. When you're thinking about going to Vegas and you're going to fly Southwest, aka the Greyhound of the Skies, one of the things I have found is that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes you can get your airfare and a stay at the Palazza or Venetian cheaper than the airfare alone at Southwest Vacations. So check out Southwest Vacations and Southwest. Some My wife and I got a deal there. It was $80 cheaper than our airfare only. And we used that money. We upgraded. And the reason there's a Prestige Lounge video on our cha- channel, I could afford the Prestige Lounge because I saved that money on what we booked. So, so lots of Venetian. You can get it on a budget through Southwest Vacations. Not all of the time, but check the website because sometimes they run some incredible deals. Okay, Bill, third stake. So, yeah, sorry about that, folks. I guess I was just on mental pause, and I swear this is my first drink of the day. The last night we ate at Bizarre Meats by Jose Andres. So let's start with Gordon Ramsay's steak. It's in the Paris. It's a London steakhouse. So the entrance to the place is really cool. They call it their channel, but they made it look like the, the underground tunnel, the channel, which connects Paris to London. So they do a good job with the decor. But I've gone back through all of my pictures of this restaurant, and they're all red because there's this red lighting of it. And overall, I like the ambiance. But it was, whatever, there's a very particular tone to it. I actually didn't get a steak there. I got the Iberico pork, which was delicious, right? Like pork secreto, just right? Like it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But they overcooked it. I asked for it medium, and it came back somewhere between medium well and well done. Um, now, the two different pieces of pork secreto they gave me also weren't done to the same temperature as one another. So it was an excellent cut of meat. It was fairly priced. It was nicely seasoned. It just, it, it wasn't cooked correctly. Now, everything else we had was great. The beef wellington that Ryan got was really very good. The lobster mac and cheese was good. Um, the hamachi crudo that I got was very, very good. So it was good food. There were just some execution errors that made it not fantastic. It was, I think it was the least successful of the three meals. Also, to our drink of the day, the Vesper. So I ordered a Vesper and I said, quote, I would like a Vesper, but instead of a lemon twist, I would like it with an orange twist. Can you do that? He said, yes, sir, of course. And then they brought me out um, this beautiful cocktail glass, which had a long and elaborate lemon twist on it. And I figured they just messed up, so I started to drink it. And then he, after that, comes out with the orange twist. Oh, sorry, here's your orange twist, sir. We just have to present it that way because it's the presentation guideline. And I didn't use any words, but the words I was thinking is, what in the actual fire are you thinking? I requested a drink this way. You said you could do it. What point are you trying to make by bringing me a drink other than the drink I ordered? So I don't want to knock this place too much because it was very good. And Ryan enjoyed his meal even more than I enjoyed mine. But of those three, of the three steakhouses I ate at, 
Yeah, Gordon Ramsay's take was the least successful. Um, I would be happy to go back if I'm with a group that really wants to go. I would certainly be delighted to go back for somebody else's money. But for my planning and for my money, no, right? Like there's just no reason to go back there. And you're helping me out because when my wife and I go in July, we were toying around with with doing Gordon Ramsay Pub over at Caesars. Now, we have had a good experience before with Gordon Ramsay Burger. Uh, I think what I had there was the best burger I've ever had in Vegas. But the reviews of both the steakhouse, the pub, and Hell's Kitchen, so we'll put all three of the other places in there, that I've seen online have been mixed at best. And it, it seems to come down to the night you show up. So, and Ryan had, on a very different night, been to Gordon Ramsay Pub in Caesars with his wife and enjoyed it. He actually thought that's where I had made reservations. So, right. again, not bad, not worth it. Now, the second night, we ate at um, Bouchon by Thomas Keller, the place which I, we walked in through the Venetian. I don't know if it's technically in the Venetian or the Palazzo. I just know a security guard yelled at me when we walked out, and I was apparently going into some guest elevators or something. So, like was that. the carpet red or blue? Probably. Okay. Yeah, no, like yeah, I if have, it was red, it's Venetian. If everything starts shading blue, it's Palazzo. So I should I should have paid more attention. No, it's Vegas. That. Sometimes discerning anything in Vegas gets to be very difficult because Vegas. Well, and also I had spent a lot of that afternoon answering some work emails. Um, and after that, I had made some Vegas-related choices, which caused me to not necessarily notice some of the finer details, such as the color of the car. Totally understood. So um, we walked into Bouchon, and Thomas Keller is the chef there. Thomas Keller is the Michelin-starred chef. I think he's got three Michelin stars for French Laundry, the place he runs in wine country in California. And he runs this place, and the decor is beautiful. It looks very much like a French bistro. And I was a little suspicious when we walked in, because celebrity chef places, I think a lot of times are overrated. And I just done the Gordon Ramsay th thing, which I thought was overrated. But we walked into Bouchon and we got there early. So we sat at the bar. I didn't know if you knew this, John, but sometimes I like to go to the bar. I, I've seen you do that. And uh, I applaud your choices, sir. Very good. So we sat at the bar, had a great time, a wonderful bartender, had a great meal. But when we were talking to the bartender, he said that Thomas Keller is actually there three or four times a year. Oh, wow. And when he comes, he'll stay for like a week and work the kitchen and stuff like that. So Thomas Keller is actually directly and centrally involved in the running in it. And for your baller, this is where your baller on a budget meets my luxury limo sort of guy. He had a steak frite, so a, a lovely hanger steak with a garlic butter on top, along with some super crispy french fries that were 49 bucks. Oh, and I can wrap my head around that number. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, and it's so it's, but it's at a super high end steakhouse right in the fat middle of the Las Vegas strip. And, and one of the most beautiful, by the way, if you have not been through the Venetian and Palazzo, one of the most beautiful properties on the strip, I would say it rivals Bellagio. It really does. No, that it absolutely does. It, it just ultimately comes down to a matter of aesthetic preference, but this place, like it was, I, I don't know. I think I like that place more than Oscars downtown. And up to this point, Oscars had always been my favorite steakhouse in Vegas. Part of it's because the food was as good as Oscars. Part of it's because the decor profoundly different than Oscars, but I judged it to be as good. It's just a different theme. But then it's just relative to what you get so darn cheap. That place was hard to beat. Okay. And, and I like a good bargain. I'm a little skeptical insofar as... I think that Oscars is the culmination of Vegas. If, if somebody were to say to me that they had an airport layover of six hours and they only had time by the time you get out of the airport, go grab a meal and walk through a property and then get back to the airport, they could only go do one thing. I think the thing I would tell them to do is go eat at Oscars because I'm not saying Oscars <clears throat> has the best food in Vegas. I'm saying that overall, the combination of food, vibe, and story, there's nothing more Las Vegas to me than Oscars. Top of Binion's is, is also up there. Uh, Primate Bellagio with the view of the fountains is also up there. But I, I like Oscars to me is quintessential Vegas. So when you make a claim like that. So uh, to your point, right. To your point about it being the quintessential Oscars being the quintessential Vegas experience, sure, I get that. And if I'm only going to go to Vegas once in my life, 
Sure. That's a quintessential okay. Vegas experience. Also, I thought the food at Oscars was out of this world. The food was great both places. I just I happen to like the vibe there. They also had some more non-steakhouse choices for, you know, if there's anybody in your group who wants that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, I like it. The other place okay. I went to that I thought was as good as Oscars was Bizarre Meats by Jose Andres. And I went there solo, and I'll be honest, I didn't have a reservation, right? I just walked in because they don't make reservations for parties of one. I just, I rolled the dice because it's Vegas. Rolling the dice is the thing you do. Absolutely. And I walked up and said, hi, I am a party of one. Do you have any bar seating? And they said, yes, of course. And I went and sat at the bar, which was a perfectly lovely way to enjoy that meal. Um, so Jose Andres, you had another celebrity chef, and apparently he is only there like once a year the bartender slash waitress i had said well he has like 40 restaurants okay fair i said when he is here how long does he stay to which she said oh all night which means that he essentially he flies through right that restaurant but clearly someone on his team <clears throat> pardon me trained these folks very very well it looks like what i imagine a spanish restaurant to be you have in a couple of different spots, live flame and live grills working. They right. have the cuts of beef out where I assume you could select the particular cut of beef that you had. So I had a couple of cocktails, and this video will go up on the YouTube channel, but like the smoked Manhattan I had was just beautiful, and there was a lot of artistry in it. I had what they called a, a Mediterranean um, gin and tonic that was was great right like so both of the drinks i had were great i started with a gazpacho which was a tiny little thimble of right. gazpacho like i think i had like three sim um three sips of it but up until that moment in my life i did not like cold soup i now like cold soup right it was it was a phenomenal drink or pardon me it was a phenomenal soup um and essentially it was an amuse-bouche but it worked out well i then had the beef Carpaccio, which was from I think Vaca Viejo, like like from old, particularly old cows, which somehow worked well. Um, it had a really nice salty pop to it. And then for dinner, because I'd already had beef as my appetizer course, I apparently was in a pork secreto mood, so I had another pork secreto, um, which they did a much much better job of than the Gordon Ramsay people did. And while it is not a cheap meal, you know what they've actually got some pretty well price managed options on there. There are. Cer there are certainly steakhouses in Vegas that will abuse you more than that one did. I am glad I went there, and I would absolutely go back to that place again. So of the three steakhouses I went to, I had two hits. Yeah, sounds like you had a good trip. No, I had a great trip. Culinary-wise, at least. Yeah, well, and in terms of rooms, I had a great one. So when I stayed at the Bellagio that first night, um, I stayed in a Premier Fountain View room. So this is just a regular room. But it's a regular room that has a good view of the fountains. And I think the regular rooms at the Bellagio are the nicest regular hotel rooms I've ever stayed in. And if you get a chance, folks, to pay extra at the Bellagio for a view of the fountains, I would do it particularly over the next year or so when you've got the Formula One grandstand there. Right. And you can't really see them from the streets anyway. But no, um, I loved my stay at the Bellagio, but that's a place I already knew pretty well. The second night I stayed at the Horseshoe, and I paid 29 bucks for this room. Now, 29 bucks plus the way Vegas does resorts fees and taxes and early check-in fees and all that. I think I paid $3 trillion for the room. I don't, whatever. There were other fees. Probably about 70 bucks. Yeah, something like that. And right. let's stop there, okay? Because okay, there's cool. a lot of online controversy about resort fees. And, and, and I am the more budget conscious of the two of us. So this may surprise you. I'm not bothered by resort fees. Like I... I understand they need to, they want to be able to put up low room rates online and they're going to add that in there. But I have often found that like, even with a resort fee, a run of house room at a nice Vegas property on some nights, even Bellagio are the post COVID Bellagio's prices have gone up that if you add in the room rate and the resort fee, you can get a nice room in Vegas for less than staying at a La Quinta in Amarillo. And uh, yeah, that's easy math as far as I'm concerned. No, I get it. I just, and I actually don't think I 
I paid a resort fee. That may not be a thing that Caesars does. Sorry, it's been a long time. Oh, it is absolutely a thing that Caesars does. Okay, yes. I'm just, I was looking at my bill. Things confused me. There were other numbers on there. I know I paid a significant early check-in fee, but whatever. Overall, it was an inexpensive room, which as you put it out, less than the La Quinta and Amarillo. The Horseshoe may be the best value call in Las Vegas, because if you can get that room for 29 bucks, which practically speaking means I think I wound up paying roughly 100 okay. after all the various yeah. fees. But I was just in a standard guest room, and it was it was enormously huge. I didn't have a strip view, but the way the room worked, so I was looking north out of my room, and I could see the high roller. I could see a good chunk of the north strip, so it was still a nice enough view, a huge room right in the center of the strip. So is it my favorite hotel in Vegas? Well, no. But it's close enough, right? Like they had, so the high limit blackjack table downstairs was 25 bucks, which was paying, not only was it paying three to two for 25 bucks, but it let me do things like surrender on bad Oh, wow. Bets. So I wanted to ask you about that because one of the things I was curious about, so the Horseshoe brand and other markets, which again, listeners, Caesars owns the rights to the Horseshoe name in Vegas, but anywhere else you go in America... Horseshoe is owned by Binion's and Binion's philosophy in their casino is to make it right by the gambler. Like that's Jack Binion said that as a mantra and, and don't get me wrong. Even in the best casino, the odds still favor the house, but, but in a, in they're a, just not abusive. Right. In a Jack Binion's place, the odds were as good as the players were going to get. So with the change from Bally's to Horseshoe, I wanted to ask you, is Vegas honoring, honoring the legacy of the name yeah, no, and giving I'm, good value? Or are they kind of like trading on the history without doing right by the player? No, they were absolutely giving good value. Um, the other way that I think they were, in terms of gambling odds, the other way I think they were trading on the the, the history of the actually incorporating the history of the name. Um, and I should have probably talked to you about this before I announced it on air, but whatever. You and I at some point soon are going to go eat at the Jack Binion Steakhouse inside just because it looked cool. And if I say, hey, John, they have steak and whiskey this way, I bet I can get you to get on the bus. Yeah, that usually does enough for me. Yeah, like yeah. I get, yeah, so, yeah, I'll go. No, um, I actually really like the horseshoe. And given the location and everything, it's the, it is the best value deal in Vegas. Like I would rather stay there than stay at a similarly priced hotel downtown. And you're talking, honestly, you're talking about the same budget numbers at right. that point. Um, the third night I went to the treasure Island, which is an old friend. I had gone through a period during the last recession, the, I don't know, 2010, 2011, whatever, where I was staying a lot at treasure Island to the point that I was getting comps there. That's no longer true. But the treasure, the suites at the Treasure Island, the Petite Suite and the Tower Suites, are excellent budget upscale experiences right. in Vegas. Like both of those rooms have two bathrooms. So, and I find that fascinating because I've never stayed at Treasure Island. The casino at Treasure Island, and again, I'm the baller on a budget. I mean this lovingly. The casino vibe at Treasure Island. Feels like the game room at a Flying J truck stop in Abilene, Texas. And I mean that in the most positive way possible. Like T.I.'s uh, ground level floor does not exude luxury to me. It, it does exude fun. If so, you can't have fun dancing at Gillies, teaching Marge from Milwaukee how to two-step, every Texas man should be able to do that. Like... I love hanging out at TI. I've so, never stayed there, but I don't think luxury when I think TI. I'm going to use a different regional analogy. When I think TI, I think the 10 Cup Country Club in Merkel, Texas. And if anyone in Merkel ever listens to this, y'all are all my people. Um, and, and we love 10 Cup. Oh, goodness. Oh, my. This is not, you're, so you're correct. It's not an overall luxury property. But in terms of the casino, it is the best gambling odds on the strip overall. Like just bar none, the best gambling odds. Like on even the strip. better than Casino Royale, which I realize you're afraid of getting stabbed in that joint. But the odds are not bad at Casino Royale. Okay, it is the 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 best gambling odds of a place that doesn't make me fear for my life. Um, <laughs> thus, it is the best gambling odds in in on the strip. But the rooms themselves at Ti 
are way nicer than the casino floor. And if you go into the petite suite or the tower suite, you know, those are as nice. Okay, that's not true. They are a simulacrum of as nice as any room in Vegas. If you if you poke underneath the covers, there are some things which are kind of weird, like thermostats that say high, medium, and low rather than set to an actual temperature right. and stuff yeah. like that. But you know what? I would like this room I was in. If this was the Labor Day trip you and me and our buddies take every year where we watch football, I mean, it'd be a great. There's two bathrooms, there's plenty, there's a table, a big couch, a big TV. You just sit there and watch football and drink beer all day, and it is the cheapest way to lose money in Vegas. Yeah, and that, that sounds like a plan to me. So, one other thing I want to talk about out of this trip before we start to sign off for the day on this trip, I found my new favorite spot in Vegas. Okay. I like to smoke a cigar about once every however often am I in Vegas. Like, I'm not a regular cigar smoker. But every now and again, I enjoy it. And I enjoy the vibe and the ambiance of those places. At the Fashion Show Mall, um, the so it, the intersection is on the one corner, you've got that mall. Then the, the rest of the intersection, you've got the Treasure Island, the Venetian Palazzo, and you've got the Wynn Encore. So that's so the neighborhood. when we go for Labor Day and we're staying at Resorts World, this is easily accessible is what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. No, okay. absolutely. Okay. So um, <clears throat> the, the Davidoff of Geneva Cigar Bar... Beautiful. If it was going to be a peak time, I would probably want to call and make myself a reservation. It was a Tuesday afternoon. I just walked in. They've got both indoor and outdoor seating. Most of the outdoor seating is covered. Pardon me. Some of it, though, they've just got tables out facing the strip, and there happened to be a lot of cloud cover, so the temperature was pleasant. It is a beautiful place with probably the best mojito I've ever had. I got it at happy hour, so it was only nine bucks. I got a really good cigar. They also had rhetoric bourbon. They had the rhetoric 23-year-old bourbon. And this is probably the one real upscale treat I let myself have this whole time. I got a glass of 23-year-old rhetoric bourbon for neat for 50 bucks. And it's not that that's not a bad. cheap class, but for yeah. what it was. For what it was, yes. Right. Because that is an expensive bottle. So, yeah, that's a good deal for what you got. No, um, it, it's, it's just... It is a beautiful setting. Um, they took exquisite care of me. I'm going to put a video of that up on the YouTube channel sometime pretty soon. But it was um, I, that's my new favorite spot to just sit and have a drink, to have a drink and a cigar. If you want, you can't possibly have a better people watching spot because you've got little bar seating that looks directly on outside that looks just right. directly over like the sidewalk up and down the strip, right? Like I don't, I don't know what else you're waiting for at that point. Yeah, that sounds absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Well, and for the baller on a budget, again, you've got happy hour or the Thursday night specials or the whatever. Like they're conscious of not being in one of the big hotels and they make it work for you. Well, that sounds like a real pick. And we're going to go ahead and start cutting our episode off right there. So this is John and this is Bill with Dine Drink Vegas. We can't wait to talk to you next time. In the next few episodes between now and July, we will keep you up to date on all the latest Vegas news. Bill will break down more of his recent trip. I've got a trip coming up in Nurset that will include uh, in, in July that includes the lunch special at Nurset. So we cannot wait to get back here for episodes five, six, seven, and eight over the next few months. We thank you so much for listening. Please like and subscribe our channels on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Dine Drink Travel and at Dine Drink John. Find us on Facebook at Dine Drink uh, Travel. Travel. And anything else, Bill? No, that's it. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you so much, and we will catch you in two or three weeks for the next episode.